You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Nineteen-year-old Tong Xiao was born in the busy coastal city of Dalian in the northeast of China, home to just over six million people. She was the only child of Chung Sheng and Yang Xue, and the three of them were very close. They were all hard workers, and Tong had shown tremendous promise from a young age. She was both very creative and artistic, and analytical and academic, playing piano and dancing with the hopes of one day being a biologist or a sculptor. But the truth was, friends and family said she really could have done anything she put her mind to. She gained a place at Dalian Yuming Senior High School, which is regarded as one of the best high schools in the city. Over the years, the school had earned an excellent reputation for producing top scorers in the college entrance exams, commonly known as the Gaokao. Those who win special awards and consistently excel can be granted admission to a university without having to take the Gaokao. Whereas Tong's boyfriend at the time won a place to go to a great university in China, Tong sadly did not. She was naturally upset, having worked so hard for it, and this meant her plans were very much up in the air. She now needed to rethink where she would go and what she would study. It would also see an end to her current relationship. She decided to make a big leap and push herself more out of her comfort zone than ever by planning on moving to the United States to attend Iowa State University and study chemical engineering. Her ever-supportive parents gave their life savings, the equivalent of $100,000, to support her and the big move. She needed to get a few more things ticked off, including the English foreign language exam. In July 2011, in Beijing, while studying for the exam, Tong met Jin Yan Li, who was studying English as well. Li was also set to go to the United States to the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York. The pair hit it off and shared a lot in common, especially as they were both about to make the same huge move to the same country at the same time. Tong's parents met Li shortly after and said that although he seemed respectful, shy, and quiet, they didn't think the pair were right for the long term. A few others shared the same view. But Tong assured everyone that the pair weren't exclusive or official, and things between them were quite casual. In September 2012, Tong finally joined Iowa State University, maintaining high grades from the start and throwing herself into all aspects of college life. Her friends said when she wasn't studying, she filled her time with dancing, socializing at parties, and teaching Chinese to other students. She made friends easily and was particularly close to the girls she lived with. Tong was the oldest of the three roommates, but they all called her little sister because she was the smallest of them, standing at five foot two. Her roommate and best friend Jean said Tong was so smart it drove everyone crazy. She was someone that was always saying she needed to study more, but would consistently come out with straight A's and was always top of the class. She and Lee were still talking long distance. But he soon made quite a surprising decision. He decided he could no longer do the almost 1,000 miles between them, and asked to transfer to Iowa State University too. But he didn't have a place to stay, and his classes wouldn't start for a while. So he temporarily moved in with Tong and her roommates. Although they said they initially didn't mind, 
They did admit living with him was awkward. He didn't socialise. He didn't make an effort with any of them, and he didn't help with any chores, leaving mess everywhere. He didn't like Tong being out and away from him, wanting to know where she was and who she was with all the time. Tong was still adamant that they weren't official and was now growing tired of his possessive behaviour. It was now about two years into Tong's studies, and everything seemed to be going fairly well. To the relief of her roommates, Lee was now in his own apartment, and officially enrolled in his own classes. But Tong was growing more and more distant from him, telling people she wanted to break things off properly and move on. Further issues had arisen when Lee gave police Tong's address as his own, when he was pulled over for traffic violations. This created more issues with Tong and her roommates, to the point where they didn't even like his name being mentioned and no longer wanted him to visit. On September the 3rd, 2014, Tong spoke to one of her friends, who had recently become something more. The pair had been talking for a while and romantic feelings were growing between them. She said the relationship between she and Lee was just causing issues and she wasn't happy and hadn't been for a long time. However, she and Lee had pre-planned a motel break that weekend. She said she was going to go and work everything out when she was back, but it was looking likely that she and Lee would be parting ways. Four days later, on the night of September 7th, Tong's father sent her a text message. She had told him she was trying to replace a pair of glasses that she'd lost, and he was reaching out to see if she'd got new ones. The response he got was short and blunt saying she had borrowed a pair from a friend. He asked if they could talk via video, having not caught up in a while, but she said she was too busy. It was an odd series of messages, and he was a little sad that she had rushed off the phone. One of her roommates then also got a text, but this one had been sent from Lee's phone at 1.30am. It read, Hey, I'm still in Iowa City, but I lost my phone so I'm using Lee's. He has a family emergency and may have to fly back to China today so I'm going to catch a bus to Minnesota and visit some friends there. I'll be back in a week. Keeping Lee's phone with me, but it's running out of battery. Monday, the 8th of September, 2014. As Monday morning came around, people were surprised to see that Tong had not come back home, especially as she had classes. Surprise became concern, however, when several more days would pass, and she was still off the grid. Her friends and roommates decided to all come together to find out who, if anyone, had actually seen or heard from her on her phone over the last week. But no one had, and none of her friends online had heard anything either. Her roommate Jean contacted a few people she knew in Minnesota via social media, and they drew a blank too, saying unless they just hadn't crossed paths in town, she didn't arrive there to see them. On September 18th, with a bad feeling in the pits of their stomachs, her roommates filed a missing persons report. Police initially wondered whether Tong had perhaps gotten homesick and gone back to her parents, saying this wasn't uncommon, especially with international students. But they quickly realised this was not the case for Tong. There was no evidence to suggest that she had left the country, and there was also nothing to show she had taken that bus to Minnesota. Detectives tracked down the other student that she had recently started talking to, but he knew nothing either. Whatever they had between them was very new, and he said he didn't even really know her well enough yet to recognise that this was out of character, hence the reason he hadn't reported her missing. 
he was able to give them an alibi, which checked out. Students and locals were now sharing missing persons flyers and social media posts as well. Tong's disappearance had really rattled the campus and the community. Using car transactions and going off what her roommates had said, authorities found that Tong and Lee had made the trip to Budget Inn & Suites, checking into room 218 on September the 5th, just as they had planned. The hotel owner, Ken, confirmed this too. He actually knew the couple reasonably well, saying they had been there before and there was nothing unusual about them coming to stay that weekend. On September the 6th, Ken said he saw Tong walking around the lobby by herself. The couple were also picked up on CCTV at a gas station, buying some bottles of water. Nothing seemed off, and it didn't look like anyone had followed the pair in or out. However, on the morning of Sunday, September the 7th, Ken said he had noticed that Tong's car was now gone, and, as the room was now empty, it seemed the pair had left in the early morning hours of September the 6th, but no one had actually checked them out officially. While the hotel had cameras, annoyingly there was a glitch in the system, and any footage of them checking out had not been picked up. Ken said although there was nothing unusual about checking out of the hotel early, normally the couple were late to check out and had to be asked to leave, so knowing this, it did seem a little odd that he hadn't seen them go. Authorities searched Tong's apartment, where they found a receipt for a car she had purchased, which gave them her number plate. They sent the make, model and plate numbers to other police departments in the area, hoping for a hit. They obtained a search warrant for both Lee's apartment and the motel room. Lee's apartment was a total mess. Everything was everywhere, and it looked as though he had packed up some of his belongings in a hurry. In the motel room, on some of the walls and the headboard, were some very small, dark-coloured splatter marks, but without having any evidence to suggest anything had happened, to get the authority to start swabbing and collecting samples was going to take a while. They also had to deal with the issue that other people had stayed in that room after Lee and Tong. They looked into the rest of Lee's phone history. If his phone was still with Tong, this would give them more locations to look at. Between September the 5th and September the 8th, several calls had been made to someone called Paul. Most had been made from Ames in Iowa, and none had been made from Minnesota. One stood out, as it had actually been made all the way from China. They did have the text which indicated Lee had gone to China, but this didn't add up with Tong having his phone. The message that had been sent to Tong's friends, which said that she was still in Iowa City, had actually been sent when the phone was in Chicago. And it was confirmed that Lee had been in Chicago for his changeover flight, which turned out to be delayed. From here, not willing to wait in Chicago, he went to Los Angeles instead and flew to China from there. He clearly still had his phone, not Tong. Paul, the man who had received so many calls, agreed to do an interview with the police. He told them that Lee had reached out to him, asking for help to buy a ticket to China. Paul was confused as he knew that Lee still had classes, but Lee said it was an emergency and didn't elaborate any further. Paul asked him if he needed a return ticket, but Lee said no. Police now knew that something bad had happened to Tong, 
and Lee was now an official person of interest in her disappearance. September 26th, 2014. A call came in to say that Tong's 1997 Toyota Camry had been located. It was parked under a tree near some apartments, just outside of Iowa City. One of the apartments nearby belonged to Lee. Residents said that the car had been there for weeks, and there was now a pungent smell coming from it. Officers now needed to wait for a warrant to open the car, but the smell coming from inside was one they knew all too well. When they finally were able to open the trunk, they saw a suitcase, and the smell got worse. Inside the suitcase was an already badly decomposing body. There was a dumbbell inside the case as well, and a bloody towel wrapped around the person's head. Well, at this point, we're not going to know for sure until we can do the autopsy. Certainly, uh, the the time we spent looking for the vehicle took some time to figure out what vehicle uh, we were looking for. It's unfortunate it had to end this way. Although testing needed to be done, they knew it was Tong Shao. Iowa State University student, an autopsy has now confirmed that a body that was found in Iowa City is that of Tong Shao. She was last seen in Iowa City September 8th. Police are not saying how she died. Tong Shao's body was found in the trunk of her own vehicle on Friday. Iowa City police now say they are looking for a person of interest identified as 23-year-old Jiang Nan Li, a Chinese international student at the University of Iowa. The Iowa City Police Department believes that Li has returned to China now, but are still awaiting official confirmation. It would later be confirmed that she had died of asphyxiation and blunt force trauma. They could still not be sure about when exactly she had been killed, but they believed that she had most likely survived being beaten, only to suffocate after she was forced into the suitcase. Inside the car, they also found some travel documents belonging to Lee, confirming his flight out to China, and Tong's smashed phone was on the driver's seat. Now they knew that Tong was deceased, they went back to the motel, this time with a forensics team. The bloody towel that had been wrapped around her head had come from inside the motel room. Using luminol, they were also able to find traces of blood on some of the furniture. CCTV showed Lee in a TJ Maxx, buying the very suitcase which Tong had been found in. He spent a lot of time in the shop, comparing sizes and wheeling the cases around. He also purchased two dumbbells from a Walmart one of which was found inside the suitcase. But even despite all of this, there just didn't seem to be any reason for it. They had just gone on a weekend trip away, only for this to happen one day into the trip. But soon, officers would talk to someone who would reveal something which changed a lot. Very few dry eyes here tonight for this somber ceremony as dozens of friends and fellow ISU students gathered here on the South Lawn on campus to honor Tong. She will be remembered as a young girl who had been loved, cared for by her friends and family. It is an honor to be able to work with 
international students like Tong. James Dorsett has lost two international students in his 20 years as director of the program. He gave a heartfelt eulogy, and it wasn't long before he was overwhelmed by the memories of Tong and their very first conversation. I tell myself that every time I go to the mall, when I see a Dipping Dots ice cream place, I will remember her. And one day, perhaps when I have the courage to face my emotions, I will try the ice cream and keep my promise to her. Tong's closest friend said it was still too soon to speak out about their beloved fellow cyclone. I smile every time when I think of seeing Tong for the first time. And the final speaker this evening was a friend of Tong's family, a friend of her father, who traveled all the way from Virginia not only to pay her own final respects here at the memorial service tonight, but also to express deep gratitude on behalf of Tong's family for everyone in attendance tonight. One of the calls Lee had made around the days Tong had last been seen was to someone called Karen, and it had lasted over three hours. They tracked down Karen to ask about the nature of it all. It turned out that the conversation Tong had had in confidence with her friend on September the 3rd, where she expressed a desire to leave Lee and move on, had actually been overheard by Lee. He said he had called her during her talk, and, unbeknownst to her, she had somehow accidentally answered her phone. Lee had stayed on the line for 30 minutes, listening to everything. Karen said Lee was clearly upset and angry, and after this he posted to his social media simply saying, fuck my life. Knowing this, and what they knew about how Tong was found in the car, showed a real premeditation, someone that had meticulously planned this out, and thought the killing through. They believed that the dumbbell in the case was part of a failed plan to throw the case into the river at a later date, and further analysis of Lee's phone showed that between 3 and 4am he was close to the Skunk River. Police believe this is likely where he was looking to throw the suitcase in, hoping it would sink with the weight inside. When the detectives went to the river, they said it would have been obvious the water was too shallow, which is why he just left the suitcase in the car. They now had the full timeline of events. After overhearing the conversation between Tong and her friend, Lee flew into a rage and set his plan in motion. On September the 5th, the couple checked into the budget inn and suites as planned. On September the 6th, Lee made his purchases, and this is the same night he booked his one-way ticket to China. It was also the last day that anyone saw Tong alive. On September the 7th, after killing Tong, Lee returned to his apartment to gather some things, preparing to leave the country. He drove around debating on throwing the case into the Skunk River, eventually deciding against it, and just leaving it in the car instead. He then used his phone pretending to be Tong, texting her friends and Tong's father, to bide himself more time. On September the 8th, Lee was in Chicago. He bought a ticket to Los Angeles, and a day later, he was back on the way to China, and on the run. It wouldn't be until March 2015 that an arrest warrant was issued for Lee, but by this point, he was nowhere to be found. China does not have an extradition treaty with the United States, and this filled the police with dread, knowing they might not be able to do anything at all. 
Even a world away, this case is on the minds of many and making headlines in Chinese culture. I spoke with a professor tonight studying Chinese culture. He says um, that he, there's even, if there's enough public outcry over there about this case, he says that could potentially bring the person of interest, who is Xiangnan Li, back here to American soil. Girl's family, for instance, um, if, if the parents want to seek justice, and they, they may use public opinion on the internet to press the government to cooperate with the United States. Well, Kevin, before he became president of the World Food Prize, Dr. Kenneth Quinn was ambassador to Cambodia and worked for the U.S. State Department for over 30 years. He says the willingness of the Chinese to help find and hold Lee for questioning might come down to one word, reciprocity, as in, if we help you, what will you do for us? So if it's a question of, are we going to give in to this American demand and hand over one of our citizens, well, the answer to that is no, because they, it's not reciprocated. I think the Chinese would not be interested in protecting a murderer. This is their, their citizen that has been killed in another country. They will certainly want to have that resolved. Ambassador Quinn says one possible scenario could be the Chinese requesting to run this case through their own legal system, since the person of interest and the victim are both their citizens. He says he doubts the Chinese would just turn Lee over to the U.S., but as you heard Quinn say, there could be some diplomatic solutions, more informal ideas where both governments agree to something beneficial for both sides. Detective Gonzalez, who had been leading the investigation, was determined to get justice for Tong and her family. He said, The one clear message I wanted to send is, if something horrible happens to you like that, no matter what it takes, we're not going to stop. I don't care where you're from, what country you went to, where you fled to. We're just not going to stop. He, along with the district attorney in Iowa, contacted the Chinese authorities and the embassy. To their relief, they agreed to help from overseas and said they would track Lee down and sort out the arrest there. They issued a press release and it was now national news in China. People on social media were sharing pictures of Lee's face and the hashtag FindLee was trending. In May 2015, Lee, who had been hiding out in Wenzhou and knowing there was no way out of it, finally surrendered and he was taken into custody. Chinese authorities now needed everything from the detectives in Iowa in order to get the case officially transferred over to them. And in June, Lee was now officially under arrest and set to be tried in China for intentional homicide. One year later, Lee pleaded guilty, saying he had been irrational and impulsive. His story was that Tong had attacked him and, in self-defence, he had killed her. He denied any level of premeditation, claiming he was always going to go back to China and it just all happened at the same time. He maintains that he was very much in love with Tong and was devastated that she didn't feel the same about him. The whole hearing lasted just six hours, and Tong's parents were asked not to be present in the courtroom. But this did not stop them, with Tong's mother bursting through the doors at one point in a frantic state. She said her life was meaningless now, and she was feeling nothing but bitterness. Lee's parents met with Tong's parents, where they begged for forgiveness on behalf of their son and agreed to pay 2 million yuan, the equivalent of about $300,000 in compensation. The verdict for intentional homicide ranged anywhere from 10 years in prison to the death penalty, and Tong's parents said they were hoping for the latter when it came to it. Her father said, 
a Chinese saying goes, a murderer should pay for his crime with his life. murder investigation that shocked eastern Iowans and crossed international borders is a closed case tonight. Former University of Iowa student 24-year-old Zhang Yan Li will spend the rest of his life in a Chinese prison for killing his girlfriend. He murdered 20 In June 2016, Li was handed a life sentence, which could later be reduced to 13 years under Chinese law. But as always, whether this would actually happen or not remains to be seen. I was very pleased with the outcome. Um, He received the sentence he would have received had he been convicted of the same offense in Iowa. And so it felt like justice was served in China the same way it would have been served in the United States. Um, I felt that the the evidence was very strong in the case, so I wasn't surprised at all at the outcome, um, but was pleased that he wasn't given a lesser sentence or, frankly, that he was given a harsher sentence of the death penalty because he would not have been subjected to that in Iowa. So having him receive the same sentence he would have received in Iowa, I thought was appropriate. The news had devastated her parents so much that her father's health took a serious turn and he was told he was unable to travel to the United States to bring his daughter's ashes home. Detectives back in Iowa said that the case set a precedent for how the United States and China can cooperate on international crime investigations. The district attorney added, We have many more students from China than we have had in the past here in the Midwest, especially in Iowa City, and so there's a real interest in making sure that there's a sense of safety and that people feel that they can come to the United States as students and be safe. Another reason that Tong's case had become so massive so quickly. 19-year-old Tong Xiao was determined and hard-working. She had made the brave move to the United States to push herself further, to challenge herself in all aspects of her life, and make her family proud. She was succeeding on so many levels, and undoubtedly would have gone on to many more successes. Her friends remember her as a truly lovely person, someone that can make you laugh, entertain you, and cry along with you when you needed someone. To this day, Tong's roommate Jean carries a prayer book with her that Tong gave her. She bookmarked the page, which marked the date she last saw her. Part of it reads as follows. Keep me focused on God, on the path before me, even when it seems stacked with insurmountable obstacles. Remind me that I do not walk alone, but with all those whose aim is to walk with you. She says she takes comfort in this, and sees it as her sign that her dear friend is always with her. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to support our channel and help us to continue to make our content, we have a Patreon with many perks including exclusive episodes, behind the scenes and ad-free early access.